We turn then again to Isaiah chapter 9. Isaiah chapter 9. This passage is just a reminder to me as well how deep and how rich is the Word of God. We have uh, been in this chapter now for three, four weeks, and uh, we haven't even truly begun to uncover all that God has to say to us. And that is the wonder and the blessing of God's Word, no matter where we read, no matter what portion we read. God is speaking to us. God is communicating to us richly, deeply, simply His truth for our lives. Isaiah chapter 9. Once again, we'll be reading verses 1 through 7. This morning, we'll focus on the theme of peace that is found in this portion of God's Word. But there will be no gloom. For her who was in anguish, in the former time he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, but in the latter time he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. You have multiplied the nation, you have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. The yoke of his burden, the staff of his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the tramping warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness. From this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. As far as the reading of God's word, let's again bow in prayer. Dear Lord, we are once again, thank you for this privilege and opportunity that we have to come and worship you this morning. And as we look around, we see the pews are nearly full, dear Lord, and we just thank you for that blessing. And as we open your word, we just ask that you bless Pastor Bob and guide him, and then open our hearts and our minds as this congregation that we can take this word and learn how to apply it to our lives and and live for you more, dear Lord. This we ask in your name. Amen. And amen. Two things to look at in regards to the prophecy of peace that we find here in Isaiah chapter 9. Our first point is that it is through the child. It is through the child. The second thing is that this peace that is spoken of here in Isaiah chapter 9 is ever increasing. It is through the child. And it is ever increasing. First of all then, that it is through the child. And so if we pick it up and look at the text as it starts here for us this morning in verse 7. We read of the increase of his government and of peace. So the question would be, who is the his? 
Obviously, Isaiah is referring to someone, some individual, some individual whose government is going to increase, someone under whom peace is going to increase. The only clue we have in this portion is that it's a his. Well, one of the rules and one of the principles you use in looking through, whether it be the English language or in particular uh, the Hebrew language, is you go back and you look for, well, who was referred to previous to this? Who, who has been indicated? And in order for us to, to grab that, all we have to do is go back to verse 6. There we learn that his name, at the end of verse 6, and there we learn those titles, that wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. But that has not yet told us who the his is. Because once again, the reference is to his name. We go back another phrase, and it's the government shall be upon his shoulder. As we looked at last week, the rule and the reign. But once again, it's a his, so we have to go back further. There we find it at the beginning of verse 6. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. Then all the other his that come from that are referring back to the child, to the son that is given. And there's once again a reason for us just to pause for just a moment and to reflect upon the way in which God brought about not only our salvation, not only the extensive kingdom, but the way in which God brings about peace. He brings it through a child. He brings it through a son, a baby. And once again, as I mentioned a couple of weeks ago, the fact that, that we, we tend to want to rush the story. We, we want to get to the cross. And well, we should. We need to get to the cross. Even as this passage will remind us. But we need to be reminded of the fact of the way in which God chose to do this. It is not incidental to our salvation that God begins our salvation with a child. See, what we have done this morning in this baptism is we have heard much about God's covenant. We have heard much about our children. We have heard about our infants. And, and there might be the tendency to say, well, yeah, but that's not really important. What's really important is when they get to be 16 or 17 or 18 and make that profession of faith. People of God, God did not begin the story of salvation with a 17, 18, 19-year-old. God began the story of salvation with a child. And there is a reminder to us. There is, there is a, an exclamation point placed there. That it is through a child. It is this reason that Jesus 
took those little children upon his knee and said, of such is the kingdom of God. Now there's much going into that statement, but sometimes we so theologize it that we forget just the real practical demonstration. Here is a child. This is part of the kingdom of God. Here's little Jacqueline. She is part of the kingdom of God. That's where the story begins. Because this is where God has begun the story for us as well. For to us a child is born. To us a son is given. It is through the child. Secondly, there is a foreshadowing that is taking place here as well. For as we continue in this seventh verse, we read about the throne of David and over his kingdom. See, the Jewish people always look to the reign of David as being sort of being the highlight of the reign. And if it wasn't David, then it was his son Solomon. And then they would look to the reign of Josiah, and then they'd look to the reign of Hezekiah, thinking maybe this, maybe this is the Messiah. But Isaiah is making it plain to us here in this text that these are but foreshadowings. The rule and reign of David over his enemies. We read at the end of David's life that he had put all his enemies under his feet. We read of Solomon, that he established his kingdom firmly. We read the same kind of language under good king Josiah and Hezekiah as well. That yes, there was an extension of the kingdom, but... But these are not the Messiah. These are not the child. This is not the one. This is not the wonderful counselor. That, this is not the one who is going to establish this rule and reign. This is not the one who is going to bring about peace. That is yet to come. But as we look at those men, as we look at their reigns, as we look at the time in which they ruled, we see hints, we see pictures, we see snippets of that which the child was going to accomplish. It is through the child. Thirdly, he is noted here in verse 6 as the prince of peace. The word prince here, we might tend to think, well, he's not the king of peace. That's the way we perhaps would in our modern day lifetime look at. We, we think of... Uh, you know, when, when a nation has a king or queen and then there is a prince, we sort of look as the prince as the king wannabe or maybe the king someday. That is not the way in which the word is used here. In their Old Testament understanding, there is no difference between the understanding of king and prince. Prince defined here would be the one who is the ruler, the one who is the chief. The one who is the captain, the one who is, in the, who is the overseer, the one who is in charge of this thing called peace. The child, the son, who is going to have a kingdom of ever-increasing peace is the one who is in charge of that peace, the one who is in control of that peace, the one who is able to dispense that peace. The one who holds peace as a possession. Not as just some theory. Not as just some idea. 
And I was working on this sermon, I, I, the, the thought of the fact that oftentimes we, we read or hear that a UN peacekeeping force was sent to. A UN peacekeeping force was sent to. And when we ask the question, well, how did that work out? We usually have to answer, not so well. They may be there, they may establish a presence, but they certainly don't bring peace and they certainly are incapable of having the peace kept. All it takes is one rock-throwing person and the whole thing falls apart again. They're there, they're watching, but they're not in charge of peace. They can't bring peace. How many accords have tried to be struck in the Middle East between Israel and the surrounding nations? And it doesn't matter if they have a D behind their name, an R behind their name. It doesn't matter if they're outside of the United States or not. Nobody brings it. Why? Because nobody owns peace except the one who is the Prince of Peace. He's the only one who has peace at his disposal. We can work for it. We can try to make steps. But we can't ever bring peace. This and this only is the possession of the child, the son, who is to be born. He will come into this world and peace will be his. As Isaiah is writing these words, there is the threat of an outside enemy of Israel that is threatening Israel once again. As it happens over and over and over again throughout the Old Testament. They realize the threat from Assyria is so strong, so powerful, There's not much that can be done. The Lord gives to Isaiah a prophecy. Here's where peace will be found. Peace will be found in a child, a son. In him, you will find your peace. Fourthly, in regards to this, is the fact that there is judgment and justice. See, what's going on in the opening verses of Isaiah 9 and then what ends there in verse 7 is it's talking about God's judgment and God's justice. So we could ask the question, how will this child, how will this son who is to be born, how will he bring peace? What's he going to do? Is he going to assemble a large army? You know, there's many in our world and in our society today who still have that mistaken notion about that which is going to take place. Oh, the Messiah is going to come and he's going to give us a lot of bombers and we're going to get a lot of bombs and we'll have a lot of weapons and we're going to go out and we're going to annihilate all these nations around us. 
There are some Christians who buy into this philosophy and thought. Well, that's the way the end of time will come. You know, Jesus will come and he will establish a military nation there in Israel. And they're going to put to death all those other nations around them. Once again, comes from a failure to truly read and appreciate God's word. The peace that is coming through the child is a peace that comes through judgment and through justice. The judgment which comes through the curse of the cross. How's he going to dispense this peace that is his to give? It's going to become a curse for us. Turn with me to Galatians chapter 3. Galatians chapter 3. We'll start at verse 10. For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law, and do them. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not of faith. Rather, the one who does them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree, so, so that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. What is the promise of Abraham? Peace. This was God's promise. I'm coming to you, Abraham. I'm making a covenant with you. I'm making a covenant of peace with you. How is that covenant that we have spoken of this morning, that our baptism has reminded us, how does that covenant get enacted? When we are sinners, when we fall short, how can there ever be peace for us? How can there ever be peace between us and God? How can there ever be peace between us and each other? How, how can that ever be a relationship of peace? Because Christ, the child, the son, became a curse for us. So that the blessing of Abraham might come, not just to Jews, but to Gentiles as well. That the curse of the law, our sin, our condemnation, might be done away with. How? Through the child. Through this child. In every prophecy that you find in the book of Luke, 
about the coming of Jesus. And then the prophecies that are made shortly after his birth. There is always a note of the fact there is going to be a price to be paid. Remember old Simeon? There as he looks upon the eight-day-old child, son, looks at Mary and he says, the sword's going to pierce your heart too. The only way for this peace to come is through the judgment of the cross. This child, this child that, that we celebrate the birth of, with our hymns and songs and carols of joy. Oh, he's going to bring peace. But it's going to take judgment on him to bring us that peace. Judgment and justice that can come, not only through the curse of the cross, but can only come through the blood of the cross. Turn with me to Isaiah chapter 53. Isaiah chapter 53. Go down to verse 5. Once again, we're speaking here of the child. We're speaking of the son. We're speaking of the one who in verse 3 is identified as going to be the man of sorrows. We're speaking of the one that we know as Jesus. But look at verse 5. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. By his wounds we are healed. What's Isaiah prophesying here? That this one who is the child, the son, the one who is the prince of peace, the one who is going to have a government that is ever increasing and is going to have peace to be able to give at his disposal, does, through, does so not only through him becoming a curse and bearing our sin, but by shedding his blood. Through his shed blood, there is peace. And you say, I don't know, you might be taking Isaiah 53, 5 a little far. Well, then go with me to Romans chapter 5. Romans 5. Verse 1. Therefore... Since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have peace through the child, through the son that was given. Now go over to verse 9. Since, therefore, we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. How does that justification work? Well, the justification is by faith. By faith in what? In the blood of Christ. In the fact that in the shedding of his blood, there can be peace. 
So secondly, this peace that is wrought through the work of Jesus Christ, through his becoming a curse, through his shedding his blood, this peace that is now his to give, for he is going to be the prince of this peace. He is the ruler of this peace. He is the owner of this peace that will be his to give. It will be his to dispense. The question is, what does that mean, peace? Well, the Hebrew word that is used in this passage in Isaiah chapter 9 is a derivation of the word shalom. Shalom is that Hebrew word that is used to describe a completeness, a wholeness, a soundness. It's used to describe relation, relationships that have been reconciled or are all right. So I know I've used this illustration before, but it bears repeating again. As a Jew would meet another Jew, as we're walking down the street, our greeting to one another is shalom. I am greeting you. I have no hard feelings against you. I am not upset with you. I see you as my fellow Jew. We're okay. Our relationship is whole and complete. And so perhaps we stand in the street and we talk about life for a little bit. We may talk about what's going on in Jerusalem. We may talk a little bit about uh, upcoming feasts and festivals. We may talk a little bit about our family, about our business. And then as we leave, we say to one another again, shalom. In other words, our relationship came in peace, was established, it's okay. We're all right, I'm not angry with you. We've talked a little bit. Nothing has happened to indicate the fact that we are upset with one another. Therefore, we leave in peace. Remember when Jesus says that if you're there presenting your sacrifice and there remember that your brother has something against you, first go and be reconciled, be at peace with your brother, then bring your offering. And you say, well, how would I know that? Because you passed him on the way and he didn't say shalom. You knew things weren't right. You knew that relationship wasn't exactly the way it was supposed to be. Therefore, go and repair the relationship. Therefore, go and be reconciled. Then come bring your offering. See, the kind of peace that is being talked about here is the idea of a friendship. That has no friction involved in it. It's the idea of favor and grace. This is the peace that is being brought. See, every Jew reading this passage from Isaiah chapter 9 is not thinking about the end of world conflicts. They're thinking personal. They're thinking my own relationship. My relationship, first of all, with God. And secondly, my relationship with my fellow believers. 
my fellow followers, my fellow worshipers of God. The one who is going to extend this government, the one who is going to extend this peace, is the one who is going to bring shalom, wholeness, completeness, reconciliation. He has become our peace. The extent of that is also included in Isaiah chapter 9. Because Isaiah 9 tells us here in verse 7 of the increase of his government and of peace there shall be no end. So this idea, this, this idea of what peace is, wholeness, reconciliation, completeness, restoration, is going to be ever increasing, ever growing. It's not confined, you see, to one geographic territory. Remember in the story of Daniel, Daniel chapter 2. Nebuchadnezzar has a dream and he has this dream about an image and, and then out of a mountain is cut a stone, a rock, and it comes and it, it knocks down the image and destroys the image. And then the rock continues to grow and grow and grow until it fills the whole earth. When Daniel interprets that, he tells the king, kingdoms are going to fall. But in essence, the kingdom represented by the rock is going to ever increase and indeed shall destroy all other nations. And that, my friends, is exactly what Christ is doing today. The kingdom of Jesus Christ is not at a standstill. The kingdom of Jesus Christ is not rolling backwards. You and I may look at the world situation, we may look at what's happening and we say, man, we're getting smaller and smaller and smaller. No, no, no. The kingdom of Jesus Christ is ever increasing. It is ever growing. And it is growing towards a time in which the one who is the Prince of Peace shall come again on the clouds of heaven and all his enemies shall be destroyed. Do not look at this world, my friends, as a rock in reverse. See the peace of Christ as that which is ever growing, ever building. But not only out there. But in here, in here, when we desire to know Christ, when we have a passion for the child, when we have a love for the Word made flesh, when we have a love for God's Word, and we gain understanding about that which, is, that which Christ is doing. Then we step back and we say, peace. 
growing. The assurance that I am loved by God. The assurance of being reconciled through the blood of Christ builds and builds and builds. And even though we have to deal with problems and difficulties in our jobs, in our work, in our families, we see them through the lens of Scripture. We see them through the lens of the one who is the Prince of Peace. And we see that he is at work. In our hearts and in our lives. In Luke chapter 2 we read of the visit of the angels to the shepherds. And in their announcement they tell the shepherds. That there is indeed the coming of peace. On those to whom his favor rests. Because you see the peace. That is brought to us. That morning. In Bethlehem. Is a peace that that child and that child only. Can give. You can't earn it. You can't deserve it. You can't negotiate it. You can't have a peace treaty for it. It's his to give. And he gives that peace to those upon whom his favor rests. Upon those upon whom his grace rests. Rest. I know that for many of you, that which transpires in the next several weeks is very hard. I am not preaching this sermon without the realization of that. This is not just pie in the sky. This is hard. Some of your best memories of family members were about this time of year and they're gone. This time of year you're forced to go to family functions with people you haven't spoken to for 364 days. And they're still mad at you. Or you're still upset with them. All sorts of stuff takes place. We even quibble over who has to bring the salads, who brings the desserts to the function. We quibble over whether or not the gift was good enough or did it fit or are they going to be upset. We don't want to get them angry, you know. This is a time of great tension. Yeah, if we're only looking at life through the microscope. In the small little corner of part of what is happening and transpiring in this world. But you see, if we look at it through a telescope, then we begin to see that this peace that seems so far away is really close. 
Because that peace is as close as Lord Jesus, I give my life to you. And when we begin seeing life, not through our own eyes, but through the eyes of the one who is the Prince of Peace, then you see, we begin to catch the picture of that which is going to happen. When there will be no more suffering, no more pain, no more tears. When the old order of things has been set aside. You know what there's going to be? Peace. With you and the Lord. And with you and every single soul that is there. Peace. Through a child. Aren't God's ways. Amazing. Amen. Amen. Father we do thank you for your word. For this reminder. Of peace. Lord I, I don't know what's going on in everyone's life here today. But if it's like. My life then sometimes peace seems at a distance. Thank you for reminding us that in the humblest and simplest of ways, you brought into this world the one who is the Prince of Peace. And through his becoming a curse for me, through him shedding his blood for me, we might have peace. Father, this has been a, a beautiful day in the house of God. We have seen covenant promises generation after generation. Not only to faithful husband and wife, but grandparents and uncles and aunts, friends, the family of God here. We've welcomed into our fellowship a uh, a saint that we have known long. Lord, it's been a good day. We see that glimmer. We see that beginning of peace. Even here, even this morning. We see it. Oh Lord, increase our faith. Increase our sight. Increase our desire for Christ. Until that glorious day. When we shall know perfect peace in and through Jesus Christ, a child, a son that was given. In his name, God's people again say, Amen.